0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: Our human fleshly nature is such that it will always be at war with the Spirit. The Bible describes this battle this way, the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary. The picture he wants us to get is that each tries to dominate the life that, well, our life, my flesh wants to dominate.
0: As we complete Pastor Sam's message, The Seed and the Soils, we pick up where we left off last time in Matthew chapter 13 starting in verse 18. I always thought the seeds and the soils in the parable of the sowers describe different people. But as Pastor Sam discusses, in differing times in our own lives, our own soils can change and affect the growth of the seed of the Word in our own lives.
1: Another way that we see the enemy stealing the good seed of God's Word is through distortions We saw this with Eve as the enemy came and said, did God say you can't eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden? You see, what he does is he takes the word of God. And of course, the command was not to eat of one specific tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he's saying, did he say you're not supposed to eat of the trees? You see, it's subtle, but it's a distortion. And that's oftentimes how the enemy works. He works through the cults. He works through the occults. Why? They use the same vocabulary, but they have a different dictionary. They're saying the same thing we are, but they mean something entirely different by it. And so there's a distortion, a perversion of the word of God. When distortion doesn't quite do it, he flat out denies the word of God. If he first says to you, well, are you sure that's what the Bible actually says? That could just be that pastor's opinion. You know, the wages of sin is death. How do you know that's true? Are only Christians can be forgiven because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Is that my opinion or is that Jesus' exclamation? No, no, that's his word. Nobody's going to get to heaven except through Jesus. So the enemy comes and tries to distort that message. And if he can't distort it, he flat out denies it as he did with Eve. He said, you will not surely die. Now, what did God say? In the day you eat, you'll die. Satan says, well, you're not going to die. Now figure it out. You've got God saying the wages of sin is death. You've got Satan saying, no, you're going to be fine. Who do you think is telling the truth? Well, it won't be the father of lies. And so, in any case, distractions, distortions, denial, and then there's there's diversions. This has happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to some of you. You're listening to the message and you're thinking, you know what? If only so-and-so could have heard this, or if only so-and-so were here, or sometimes the Lord's speaking and I see elbows going out, you know? It's like, it's for you, you know. He's talking right to you. And, uh, but the thing is, that may in fact be the case. But you got to know if you're getting it and you're thinking someone else needs to get it, it's for sure for you first. <laughs> it is. And that's what happens to me in my private study. I sit before the Lord not just to prepare an outline, but to prepare my heart and my my life that I could communicate His truth. And I'm like, Lord, work in me and work it into me that it might come forth from and through me. And and that's what we all need is to just sit before the Lord and not be distracted and Put away the distortions and the denials and be careful of the diversions. And then there's duplications. This is the fifth. Really, imitations would have been better, but I had to stick with the fifth D. You know how we are. And so us pastor types, we just got to use the alliteration. But, But imitations and counterfeits are a sure tool of the enemy of our souls. When Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh and proclaimed as God told him to let my people go that they might worship me. What happens? Pharaoh says pretty much, "Well, I don't know the Lord and you know, I don't know who he is and I'm not going to let the people go." So God says, "Well, cast down your staff and it'll turn into a serpent." That's exactly what happens. It turns into a serpent. That was a sign to them of God's supernatural power, bringing life from death, turning a staff into a serpent. But what happens? The magicians of Pharaoh, they either counterfeit, imitate, or duplicate the miracle. Now, I don't know that they would have been able to actually produce serpents from staffs. Some have suggested they did by satanic power. But it seems to be a miracle of creation that would be beyond Satan. Well, what would have happened then? Well, I've got a good friend that was a magician before he became a Christian. See, I was a musician before I became a Christian. I became a Christian, then I was a Christian musician. He has a little trouble convincing people he's a Christian magician. Because they're like, oh, there's no such thing. You know, that's evil. That's darkness. That's That's bad. But the deal is, all the magic he ever did was tricks, you see. He never had any supernatural power, and everyone he ever met that did magic did tricks. Now, his slant on all this is there's no such thing as those things that, well, people attribute to Satan in the realm of creativity and such. And and here's how he demonstrated that point. He brought us... A, a rod well and and he turned it into a serpent. Fortunately, he had a rubber snake in this thing because none of us wanted a real snake slithering around trying to get through these chairs and find it later. But what he did is he had this this rod, and he did a little smoke and fire thing, you know, the magician's always got the little smoke and fire, and then he does this, the thing that the snake's in collapses into the palm of his hand, the serpent falls to the ground, the rubber snake in this case, and, and lies there. Well, did he do any real magic? Did he turn a, a, you know a staff into a serpent? Not at all. But what he did is he made an appearance of doing that. And again, I don't know. I'm not saying it's impossible that God wouldn't, God could have granted Satan the ability for whatever reason he might allow him to do such a thing. But I personally believe that most of what is out there that passes for spiritual things, even in the realm of the occult, it's just Well, it's just a lie. It's just a deception. It's just a con. Am I saying there's no real spiritual deception? No, not at all. Because, see, whatever isn't of the truth is a lie. So it's still spiritual in nature. It's still occultic. It's still demonic. But it doesn't give Satan more power than he actually possesses. Well, in any case, those duplications, those imitations, they continue in the cults today. They continue in the occults. Whatever God does, the enemy tries to counterfeit it. So God gives gifts and then the enemy has, well, these sort of parallel gifts. They, they look like what God gives, but certainly they're not from the Lord. They don't bring glory to the Lord. They don't point people toward the Lord. Well, in, in the first case then of the four, we see that, that the word of God planted in the heart of man finds that that good seed can be snatched away, stolen, before they ever even catch it and get it. One last thing before we move on to the stony or shallow heart. It is possible, even probable, that at some point in our studies, God will take you and you'll space out. And this is a completely different thing. It's not the enemy distracting you. It's not you just spacing out or thinking, did I turn off the stove? You know, that stuff happens. But God sometimes speaks to us in the midst of a study and I'm not so foolish as to think all that he has to say to you, he'll say through me. No, what happens is I can say something and it can trigger something in your brain and the Lord can take you aside and he can begin to deal with that issue or that area of your life. And if he's doing that, listen, that's a wonderful thing to have happen. What that means is you've gotten beyond me to a real encounter with him. And if you miss all the rest of what I say, no big deal, you see. Because what matters is that you connect with him, that he speaks to you, that that you leave with something that makes a difference. And, And so that being said, in the next situation here, verses 20 and 21, he who received the seed on stony places... This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He describes this second heart as being stony or shallow, superficial, emotional, excited. Lots of feelings about God, but no real faith in God. And uh, those of you who've grown up in this area or those of you who've lived here for some time, you know the difference where there's good deep soil and when there's shallow hardened soil. In fact, you go to Durham Park or you go to Bidwell Park, you see those mighty oaks. They're just massive and beautiful, radical trees. You go to the east side of Bruce Bruce uh, Road. And you see all these little scrub oaks. Why? Because in Durham and in Bidwell Park, there's a deep loam soil. So those trees are able to get deep rooted. And the deeper the roots, the bigger the the tree, the the deeper the root, the better the fruit. And, And so here's what happens. On the east side of Bruce Road, you have lava cap. You have about three inches of soil and then it's just lava cap. So those those trees they get planted or the seeds they get there, they, they actually plant themselves as the seeds are gathered or blown around there. And and then they they just can't break deep into the, the um through the lava cap into the soil. So they spread out, they get whatever soil they can. They're very um shallow rooted. Radical storms will just knock those things right over. The big trees, though, man, deep roots, they will stand for decades and and for sometimes centuries. So that's the picture that develops here. If you have a shallow heart, if you have a stony heart, if there's a little bit of soil, but right underneath it's just hard capped, that's the person, he says, who hears the word, he receives it or she receives it, Open and receptive to it and receives it with joy. He begins to just rejoice in the goodness of God. Recognizes, this is good news. The kingdom of heaven is good news. But Jesus says, unless a man be born again, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And, and so that simple message, some say, well then, I want to be born again. I want life eternal. I, I'm, I'm, where do I sign up? So we raise our hands and we pray a prayer and, and we give you a Bible and you're like, great. But have you ever known people who've gone through all that only weeks later after they've been just on fire sharing with everyone they know, now they're not sharing with anyone and, and they've actually gone back to their old life and you talk to them about the Lord and they're like, oh, I tried that and it didn't work for me. And I'm like, what? It didn't work. How can it not work? It's God's word. He's the true and living God. It it always works. Well, it doesn't work in a heart that's shallow and superficial. But the problem isn't with the word. Again, it's with the heart. Well, he tells us two things happen to this person. Either of them could happen to you. First, tribulation. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Tribulation. It's a sure thing. You're going to experience trials. You're going to go through times of tribulation. And doubts are normal at that time. But if you're in the Word, the Word will overcome your doubts. But not just tribulation, persecution. And again, we're told all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's an interesting verse because It doesn't even suggest you have to be doing a good job or even living a godly life. Just the desire to do it will put you in the position of facing persecution. Why? Because if you set your heart to go the right direction, lots of people around you are going to be troubled by that, convicted by that, and they're going to want to pull you back into the world that they're in, the world of misery and self-destruction and relational destruction. So, Tribulation, it's going to happen. Persecution, it's going to happen. And he says the person that has a shallow or superficial heart toward the Lord and toward the Word, he, he says, hey, this person, when the tribulation or persecution arises because of the Word, immediately he stumbles. That word stumbles is from our Greek word that from which we get the word scandalized. It's an apt picture in a word. Not only is it a scandal to them, but they become a scandal to others. They who were witnessing now, well, their witness is lost and trampled under the foot of men. So, a heart that's out of the way, a heart that's stony or shallow. And then he deals with yet a third possibility. He who receives seed, verse 22, among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. The thorny heart, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now remember, He hears the word as did the other two and for an entirely different reason or a couple different possibilities, still no productivity, still no fruit. Why? Again, the word of God never really takes root. Now, he says it's the cares of the world or the deceitfulness of riches. This is a case of the temporal superseding the eternal, the physical over the spiritual. And you need to know that not all the cares of the world are evil or bad. In fact, the best things are often choked out by the next best or, or the not so bad. A, a couple examples, friends, family, opportunity, be it in education or in our, our um careers, listen, those are all good things, but if your friends get between you and the Lord, they're no longer a good thing. If your family comes between you and the Lord, or your education, or your career, or anything you're pursuing in life, you see, if the Lord's on the throne, then you'll be a blessing to friends and family. You'll make good choices about school and career and such, but those good things can become the very cares that, well choke out the good seed of the world, leaving us so little time for that which God would be planting in our hearts and doing through our lives. Hey, here's a good example. Sobriety. Who can't say sobriety is a good thing? Well, there are some people down you know, in the college area that probably wouldn't think so, but someday they'll agree with us. Sobriety is good, but There are people in their attempt to get sober or to get off drugs that are so ingrained in AA or NA that they have no time for the word or no time for Bible study. They got meetings every night. Now, don't misunderstand. I think AA is doing a great job at getting the public sober. And I think NA does a great job at dealing with people who are struggling with drug addiction. But, that's not all about the spiritual needs that those people have. It's not sufficient to take them to where God wants them to be, where God wants them to go. And so you can get so into a good thing. And listen, again, hate, sober, better than drunk. So, you know, uh clear minded, better than stoned out of your mind. Those are wonderful things, but they can become the cares of the world. Got to stay in my meetings. Got to stay with my program. And what you've got to make sure you do is you get beyond that to a vital and growing relationship with the Lord Jesus. Why? Because you can stay sober your whole life and still perish in your sins. You can stay off the drugs and still perish in your sins. Because it's about a relationship with Jesus and a yieldedness to the word that transforms your life. The cares of the world. Now, not all the cares of the world are decent and good things. There are some bad things. And First John tells us to stop loving the world. Stop giving our hearts to the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father It's of the world, it's fading away, it's temporal, it's passing. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. This is just greed, grasping, feeling you need more. You know, we're told in the Old Testament, he who loves riches will not be satisfied with riches. And you can substitute that word riches with anything you love the only the only real satisfaction, absolute satisfaction, really is in our relationship with the Lord. If you put he who loves the Lord, you can't say won't be satisfied with the Lord. No, you will be. But anything you put in his place will fail to satisfy. And if you're after riches, listen... If you're not after riches, you probably, you know, would be considered not a good American. We're, we're taught that, that amassing stuff to ourself and you know, that's really what life's about. That greed and, and gain, that's what makes a man happy. You've seen the bumper stickers. He who dies with the most stuff wins. And then somebody was witty enough to come up with one that said, he who dies with the most stuff wins nothing. Why? Because you take none of it with you. And bottom line though a greedy person chokes out the good seed of God's word. Why? Because there'll always be something out there that's pressing or or some opportunity or something that you can get or have or, or aspire to that will keep you from just yielding yourself to the things that God's saying and trying to do in your life. Do you know Judas, who we're told was a thief, sold his Lord out for 30 pieces of silver? And I've pondered that hard and long and thought... You know, what is, what would we value him at? What is the price that would cause us to sell him out? And most of us as Christians would say, well, there's no price. I I would give everything. I would do anything. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Judas, of course, was the son of perdition. It wasn't that he was a believer who became an unbeliever. Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. He was the son of perdition. But he sold his Lord out for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Because he was greedy, because he was a thief at heart. And there are many other examples of such things in Scripture. But that brings us to the one we've got to get to in order to conclude this study. And that is, he who receives seed, verse 23, on the good ground, he who hears the word, And understands it. I hope that's you today who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Now, the one who hears and understands, he says, bears fruit. There will be productivity. There will be fruit. Why? Because there's, there's good soil. There's good roots and, and the seeds good. We're going to be fruitful for the Lord. But he says some will bear 100, some 60, some 30. I believe that this will be in direct proportion to our maintenance as far as cultivating a a receptive heart. You see, at any given time, I can go from someone who's totally receptive to the things of the Lord to someone who's a little hardened to them. I'll tell you one way that happens is, I can be listening as you do and studying as you are and, and agreeing and agreeing and agreeing. And all of a sudden that guy says something that really attacks something I'm into, either in thought or word or deed. And there's an immediate conviction. I know I need to change. And, and it's like, I don't want to change. I don't want to let go of that. It's not, it's not a gross sin. It's nothing that would stumble anyone else. That's just, That's just an attitude. I mean, I want to be able to honk my horn. I want to yell out the window. I want to be able to do that stuff. But I don't really want to do those things. That's just what comes natural. And, And at any given time, I'm capable of acting in the natural or the supernatural. I would suggest to you that a cultivated heart is a heart that is walking in the supernatural, sensitive to the Spirit, open to the Word, wanting to hear from the Lord and respond to the Lord and in direct proportion to how cultivated my heart is and how open I am, well, that will determine how much fruit I produce. So if you're in the 30 category and you're thinking, man, how come that life's so much more fruitful? Give yourself more to the Word and not just a reading and a study of it, but a yieldedness to it, an obedience to it, And you'll see more fruit. Finally, in our day, one last great danger, not even mentioned in the passage. And that is the seed can go unsown, unscattered. There are so many substitutes today, even in church, for the simple exposition of God's word. And listen, God's word is. Changes lives. God's word changes destinies. God's word changes families. And so we want to make sure that we are doers of the word and not hearers only, that we're sowing the good seed. Hey, if we don't go out and share the gospel, the good news that, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again. Do you know the cults will still go? The occult will still go. The world is still moving with or without us. And so today, today, if you're not a believer, this is a day to make a decision for Jesus. If you are a believer, I would think, Lord, I wanna be more fruitful for you. I wanna be more yielded to you. Lord, I just wanna be more like you.
0: When we consider the challenges that we face in our battle between the spirit and our flesh, it's very wise to take a look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, where the apostle Paul tells us about the full armor of God. The protections and the weapons that he spells out are truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. If you contemplate each one of these, you will see them as gifts given to us by the Lord that give you the ability to withstand the wiles of the enemy.